Welcome to another interview at the Startup Operator. In this episode, you'll hear from Neil Dave, who heads product at Tapchief. Tapchief raised for about 1.5 million just last December and is a platform where professionals can share and monetize their expertise. Neil is unique in the sense that he's handled both product and growth. We spoke about a bunch of fascinating things like product led growth, zero to one challenges, why scale doesn't matter in that phase, focusing on boring fundamentals and how operators have to adapt to stay relevant along the journey. What's up Neil, how's it going? Hey Roshan, uh, it's great to be here and it's been going great. But as great as it can be with the whole macro condition of the pandemic, but uh, you know, it's going. We were just talking about how this whole uh, crisis and lockdown uh, has been a shot in the arm for Tapchief as such, right? Do you want to talk about that uh, a little more? Yeah, so the way we look at it is that uh, the clock on what uh, the things we were espousing and the lifestyle that Tapchief was promoting has kind of jumped like around 5 to 10 years. Like we talked about how people want to work on their own terms, they want to work remotely, they want to work from home. And uh, while we were looking at a gradual change, this uh, the pandemic has forced people to shift to this new paradigm of lifestyle. And mm-hmm. since then, we've been seeing a lot more companies and employees both buying into this thesis. And of course, uh, if you look at it in a sense, uh, I wouldn't have had uh, uh, like that remote work or our thesis be pushed in this way because, you know, it's a crisis at the end of the day. And there's a lot of negative connotation of it. Like the remote work thesis goes much beyond than just working from home. It's about working from anywhere, working flexibly, asynchronous communication. But, you know, nonetheless, we have seen a surge. Like it's almost 10x in the kind of demand we've seen, 10x in the kind of operations and people talking about it. Yeah. So I've said this before as well on multiple other podcasts that uh, this crisis uh, kind of tends to act as a forcing function, right? Uh, And... uh, people have nowhere to hide in terms of having iron tight uh, processes or uh, making sure that you know everyone can operate independently right so uh, to that end i think it's helped organizations uh, you know reinforce their fundamental values as such so before we you know dive uh, deeper into this let's step back a little bit and uh, uh, do you want to talk about how you got started at uh, Tapchief? I mean you're you're coming up on 5 years now right that's a long time yeah yeah i am i am and uh... I still remember the day, right? Like I, I joined Tapchief and I was still in my third year of college, right? And in fact, the whole startup was in college because the founders right. were my seniors. And uh, I remember that uh, the then uh, my senior, Shashank, who's, not, who's the CEO and co-founder of Tapchief, yeah. and uh, Binay, who's the CEO and the co-founder. And he said that, hey man, we're doing something cool around this thing. We were in the same debating society. And uh, why don't you come up and do it with us? And then back then, Tapchief didn't exist. It was Advice, which was an on-demand tutoring platform. And uh, since then, I got to working with them. That company got acquired uh, again while we were still back in college. And during my final year, that was when we started Tap Chief. And I decided to take the plunge with them again. And since then, it's uh, history so far. Like we raised funding in the last year of college, moved to Bangalore, went through a slump. And here we are now. So mm. yeah, that, that's how I ended up with these guys from since my third year of college. And it's been like yeah, four, four years and some change, like yeah, approaching five. Right. Right. And I want to persist with that, right? Uh, there are a lot of other operators listening to this uh, and I want them to get nostalgic as well. So <laughs> why did you take the why did you take the leap with uh, Tapchief? What was it about Shashank or what was it about the idea itself that uh, spurred you to do this? And, uh, you know, I think as you put it, it's really that part itself, right? That one word, it's the idea, right? As to what you can do out there. 
So back in college, like I studied at Bits, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's a brilliant set of folks all around. There's uh, seniors are amazing, the culture is amazing, and of course the professors and the education. But uh, what kind of hit me the most about the people there was that they talked about doing things that made a difference. Uh, it could be in the form of a startup. It could be in the form of doing some kind of research, or it could be in the form of you know developing something really cool. And that's what really stuck with me when either Shashank or Binay talked to me. Back then, advice was about uh, people like us who were studying in college and uh, who wanted to get into one of the top institutes but didn't really have access to really expensive tuitions out there. Tuitions can range from one lakh to two lakh out there. But what they really needed was a helping hand by someone who's been there and done it before, which was a thesis there. And uh, that's what, like, people who wanted to make a change in people who are like us. And that's what I liked mm-hmm. about them most. It was not about making money or becoming a unicorn, which were, of course, secondary byproducts of making a difference. Right. And that's what kind of stuck with me. No one really was talking about it in that way. Mm-hmm. People were talking about it, how can I get the best package or how can I go to the US, which in my mind were optimizing for milestones rather than the end goals in itself. Mm-hmm. Like going to the US is a is a stepping stone for you to do bigger things in Silicon Valley or work with amazing people. But mm-hmm. uh, the end goal in itself is to make a difference or to like create value or to do something like that. And these guys were talking about that. And that was fairly refreshing, exciting. And that's why I jumped on board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, true, right? I mean, uh, success is a byproduct of creating value by many in many perspectives, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So what were the early days like? I mean, did you guys start out of a garage or a dorm room? Uh, you know, what was that like? That was roughly a room which was, you could say, <laughs> 10 feet by 6 feet for 6 people. Kind of the, and... ideal, uh, kind of the ideal dorm room, right? Yeah, yeah, it's actually smaller than a dorm room because it's a one-person room in which six people, three on three of them on the bed, one right. of them on a chair, one of them sitting somewhere on the floor, and uh, four of them are coding. One person's making Facebook posts out there, another person's talking to users or talking to investors back then, and talking to a Sequoia or someone like that back then was a really big thing, right? Because hmm. you are at the end of the day college students. Canteen mein jaane ke paise nahi hote. <laughs> so like right. uh, talking to an investor was. Uh, made investments in the likes of Uber or Airbnb at the time felt really mm-hmm. big. So the early days were pretty interesting back then. Uh, everything seemed like scrappy. It seemed like, you know, even if we fail, it doesn't really matter because we can start over again. There was no baggage. And uh, everyone's doing a little bit of everything. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Right, right. And, you know, in that initial zero to one journey, right, what were the problems that you had to solve for uh, you personally? And, you know, how was that mirroring uh, Tap Chief's journey itself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I've kind of thought about this a lot of times and I think that problem remains, uh, the same as in when you scale an org, whether you're a, a team of 10 or a team of hundred also, it's that, that, uh, how can you really focus on a few things and do them right rather than, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Play around with a lot of different things and not uh, definitively know whether it's the right thing that worked out. To give mm-hmm. you an example, that when you're an early stage company, you kind of look up to other companies and try and research that how did they grow to where they are, right? Mm-hmm. And you try and find out if it worked for them, let's see if it works for us as well. In mm-hmm. specific terms of say growth, or back then titles didn't really matter, but growing was one of the biggest onuses. So everyone was kind of growth back then. Mm-hmm. When, and when I say everyone, I mean like a team of uh, six of which the three co-founders included. So three other early stage employees, including me. So two more in addition to me back then. Right. And uh, if you look at it in that sense, back then in growth, you could do content, you could do ads, you could do affiliate. And you seem like the world is your oyster, right? Yes, of course, you can. Mm. And moving forward, 
what you started ended up realizing was that you know you will spread yourself too thin without seeing any uh, definite success towards even one of those mm. so you know really focusing on a few things getting them right and investing them week on week back then month on month after that and year on year after that is what really counts rather than doing 500 different things right and yeah. back then that is what's most important because there are a lot of flashy things or the shiny new thing yeah. and i'm not just talking of growth when i talk about it right the same applies to early stage product early stage growth early stage engineering mm. like if there's a new language you want to use it right your all coders are like that they're like you know let's kind of check this out let's try and dabble around with this it seems cool for xyz reasons justifiably right. but at the same time if it's a new language probably it has less support it has less community forums for to develop it and you might fail drastically right so mm. doing the boring things and doing the boring stuff is what you need to get good at when you start right the mission still remains exciting serving your users growing all of them are exciting but sometimes mm. you need to get the boring and lesser of the stuff done and that's probably one of the biggest constraints back then because we're all young and everyone wants to do new things mm. so uh, at that point if you would have done that i think that we would have scaled much faster to the same position we are today yeah no i mean that's a fantastic point because uh, often i mean in this whole era of like you know hacks and uh, you know stuff right we kind of forget the fundamentals right and especially in that early journey where momentum is so important uh, it's really important also for us to recalibrate uh, uh, ever so often to figure you know am i doing the thing that uh, can give maximum scale right no that's absolutely right and this is another thing which becomes very important as you grow that uh, and this is something that benay my co-founder and i have i've had a conversation about a lot of times is mm. that do not appreciate activity over achievement right mm. and what i mean of by course. that is that a lot of people come up and say that uh, that you know we did 500 posts or we sent 10000 emails great that's good okay mm. as a as a young startup or as a young operator more importantly you are like yeah, i've done these 500 things and you feel uh, good because you did this your workday mm. is full But at the end of the day, you need to measure impact and definitely say whether an experiment worked or not. If your emails are getting your users, but at the end, but new users, I mean, but at the same time, you're getting a lot of unsubscribes. There's something fundamentally wrong with your position. So go back and fix it first, mm-hmm. right? So actually, mm-hmm. look at conversions, which is something that at early stage people are not really good at measuring the stuff that matters, and mm-hmm. that becomes an issue. So while it's important to measure inputs, you always need to look at output signal signaling on how it's working or not. Like drivers are important. Number of emails sent. but what's mm. more important is that what is the end conversion of your email campaign it's very mm. easy to get excited about open rates or click through rates when you are young and early to all of this what's most important is is it completing the end conversion if it's a e-commerce product is it leading to a purchase if mm. it's a saas product is it converting a user to either reactivating them or actually you know getting them to pay for the product or if you're doing sales then fine you did 500 calls or 100 meetings right uh, at the end of the day is it actually converting to something so never appreciate activity over achievement is and i think in the current scenario that makes a lot more sense given that uh, the office space garners this idea that i can see activity happening around yeah. right and people yeah. want to optimize for that that i can see this person working you know mm. paradigm now where you can't technically see anyone else working there though there are a lot of uh, almost spyware as company tools that are implementing mm. it out there where you can actually see people working that's a separate conversation but you can't see you can only measure them on one thing and that's goals that are yeah. we, are we achieving what this person was supposed to do or not supposed to do more mm. than what are the activities performed to achieve that mm. and i think that's what becomes most important as an early stage startup operator that do what works and measure what matters 
Yeah, and it also keeps you honest, right? As you mentioned, I mean, it's easy to fill my day with thousand uh, things that uh, you know I can do and stay very busy. But really, I mean, is it really moving the needle? You know, and do I have to be doing it now or maybe like two hundred days from now? So, uh, yeah, I mean, so what are other things that you would say are important when you're innovating under constraints, right? I mean, when you're let's say starting out of a ten by six room. uh you don't have the time or the resources to you know that some of the other larger companies that you might be competing with uh, have right uh so in these kind of constraints what are the uh, i hate to say hacks but what are the principles that uh, uh you kind of use to innovate so i i don't think hacks itself is a bad word i think that what it has come to mean has become slightly bad right so mm-hmm. within the same idea i'd say that uh when you are early stage and it could mean in terms of team size it could mean in terms of team expertise or in terms of money resources all three of these things are resources at the end of the day uh you do things that don't necessarily scale uh how this is different from when you are entering into growth stage you essentially want things that will scale when you have say mm-hmm. either 1000 member teams or 10000 member teams or when your ad budget goes from 1 lakh to 1 million you still want things to scale there but when you're early stage you it's okay to do things that don't scale right like think of it as this example that fine you can't afford an email sending tool mm. send them manually right it won't scale when you have 100000 users or subscribers but mm. it will work when you have 1000 people to mail right it's not yeah. that hard and yeah. uh, at the end of the day if you don't have a crm out right to manage all the things that you have like or something like vimo to give you intelligence just go ahead and write go ahead and look at those people's linkedin profiles save them as a pdf keep them in a folder what i've seen largely happening today is that and this is not exactly a bad thing either there are a lot more companies software services and processes serving early stage companies nowadays back then uh it's okay to not do any of this and just do it manually so i'd say do things that don't scale and that's one of the things that most com- most companies under constraints or most teams under constraints don't embrace by themselves no i could not ag- agree more uh, uh with that right so we do plenty of things that don't scale i mean that start off as experiments i mean uh, i think paul graham had a fantastic uh, essay on the same thing uh, or it was part of his essay if i remember correctly yeah yeah it is him and reed hoffman if i'm not wrong like both of right. them talk about this a lot that right. are doing things that don't scale is okay yeah yeah i mean especially with this especially on the marketing front right it all it, it all seems like people want to do dumb things faster right you can <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah you can, you can kind of automate a cadence and just leave it and you know forget about it and then it will probably drip someone 1400 times and uh, yeah i mean if that's your definition of building a relationship versus uh, you know actually following someone and you know responding to them right that's a that's a huge difference right and at an early stage 100 meaningful relationships are way better than you know 4000 uh, passive relationships no exactly right and people don't really want to think that okay if i send these 100 mails i learn from replies as to what mm-hmm. happens and what doesn't happen they're like oh wait there's this tool i can spend 10k emails yeah. if exactly. i assume a one person conversion rate i am yeah. going to get my user number done so that goal mongering happening at early stages when the main goal should be to learn to get your equations right like if mm-hmm. i get these many users i usually get these many signups getting a persona right what channels are working channel by channel cac these kinds of things is very hard to focus on when everyone's goal mongering behind that number another right. problem that i see here which comes from the drip campaign thing right that mm-hmm. people start looking for silver bullets because all these stories of airbnb using the cheerios hack 
or their yeah. or their their own craigslist hack right or right. um you know anyone facebook using the campus uh, mail hack out there have been uh, you know so what do you call it evangelized and so put on a pedestal mm. that uh, people are like that you know we need to find that silver bullet for us mm. right and whereas what you kind of realize is that there are no real easy answers out there anymore like you try mm. thousand things probably one of them ends up being a silver bullet after you optimize it for 6 months and yeah. that's the story you tell because no one wants wants to talk about the uh, different thousand things that didn't work before that so early on looking for silver bullets you should stop looking for them if something works then you can work towards making it into a silver bullet but don't enter anything thinking that this is going to be one my one silver bullet to product or to growth or to branding or to pr or to yeah. fundraising even there yeah. is there are no silver bullets out there yeah no i mean marketing especially right is is just like fundamentally i mean iterating on things that uh, you know uh, are sort of in the region of uh, you know what do you say good things to do uh, and then finding that one thing right and those iterations can last forever and that one thing is always uh, time bound right i mean if some particular channel or messaging works i mean there's a particular time you can't rely on it forever as well exactly so yeah yeah Neil, what are the top two or three metrics that you are focused on at this point of time? So, uh, so when we think of metrics, we think of them in four layers. Actually, the first layer that we think of is that that what are the metrics that uh, that which which we call the north star, right? Mm. Which kind of focuses on that. Uh, you know, this is in line with how users deriving value, and it's a leading indicator of success of the company as well. Both of these the combination. so mm. the most important north star metric for us as product and as a corollary growth as well is the number of projects that are happening on tapchief right either using the tool like workspace which we are about to launch or on tapchief itself that how many connections can we make between uh, these agencies these independent professionals these firms and studios and mm. these companies looking to get mission critical work done so that's one north star metric the other north star metric of course is uh, the number of uh, you know the number of uh, independent professionals we can get them to buy into this thesis because that one metric actually represents something much more than our user growth number mm. what it represents is the fact that how many people are buying into the lifestyle that we are saying that users can have right and we have seen that steadily grow month on month so that is more of a lifestyle indicator that how many more people are buying into the thesis that you can work from anywhere and still earn on your own terms right and the third most important metric that we see and this is one of the most important things is that how much earnings are we able to push to these freelancers and these uh, these independent professionals and agencies because at the end of the day that is the true uh, that that is the core of the product right like if we can enable these connections to happen and get them to live a lifestyle and increase their quality of life by mm. helping them earn that value and that is uh, that is the most important thing so of course the number of people coming onto the platform and earning one two the number of projects happening and three how much earnings are we able to push to them everything else that we measure is a driver to these three or one of these interesting interesting and tapchief is you know if i were to describe it it's a typical two sided platform right and from a business model perspective uh any words of advice in terms of how to grow this uh, this kind of a platform as such where you have let's say uh, professionals on one end and you know uh, uh, companies or agencies at the other end so one of the cleanest understandings of such a uh, marketplace is what we call it that's one of our yeah. offerings we tend to think of ourselves more as a full stack platform which will yeah. yeah we are a full stack uh, 
future of work platform. But coming down to the marketplace product is what you're talking about. Uh, one of the biggest things that you'll realize is that very early on, you'll end up with a chicken and egg problem. Right? If there are companies who are looking to work with these freelancers, you will have a lack of those freelancers or freelancers in general. If you have more freelancers yeah. on board, either you'll have a demand or a supply constraint, which is a common Correct. problem with a marketplace. So right. the first advice would be that seed one side very strongly beforehand. And that depends on the space you are in, the kind of connections you have, and individual team strengths early on. So I can't really say which one. But mm-hmm. either you either you kind of seed the demand side, where say if you have more senior folks starting up who have connections in the industry, then probably that side slightly easier for you to get bootstrapped and started. Or if you are people who already exist in freelancer communities, have connections in that network, then the supply side would probably be easier. So seed one side very strongly and the other side will start coming in by itself in a sense, right? That's first. Yeah. The second thing is because it's a marketplace and uh, so how you charge for a marketplace becomes very interesting, right? So how to grow it depends on that as well. So if you are, say, a LinkedIn-like marketplace where you charge for discovery of talent, not that the actual work of the talent is happening on the platform. To mm. give you an example, LinkedIn charges for a job post. You mm. want to show people jobs, you, you pay for it, right? And that's what you mm. end up paying for uh, however, if you look at uh, any of these freelancing platforms like Upwork or including Tapchief in one of the products, uh, you'd see that ki, uh, they are charging for the end result of the work done. And there right. is a quantum of difference in the amount they charge. Like Upwork charges up to 25% uh, for, of each freelancer earning, whereas LinkedIn charges like, uh, you know, 200 rupees per job post per day. So you see, it's a scale difference entirely. LinkedIn has mm. a huge user base of, say, somewhere around 500 million. Uh, and uh, Upwork has somewhere around, if I'm not wrong, 12 million uh, freelancers on the supply side on their side. But mm-hmm. they get to make enough money nonetheless because they are taking care of delivery of the service in addition to the discovery of these professionals. Mm-hmm. So if you are, so coming back to the growth side for these marketplaces, um, if you are actually taking care of the delivery side, you're earning a percentage cut on that front, which is what I'd suggest, then it's okay to start with paid acquisition early on. Simply mm. because you're not, you don't have a freemium model, right? And mm. you don't really uh, have to like burn money. Because if you are getting 10% of that commission and an average ticket size of a project, say somewhere around 1 lakh, then you can easily spend up to 10,000 rupees to acquire that user for like, you know, not losing out in any money on that front. Yeah. So that's a huge CAC. And usually you won't spend that, that much. You can spend two to 3,000. And there are a lot of paid marketing channels out there which you can use affiliate networks or even sales partner networks to get the requisite lead in. So that's the second growth thing I'd suggest. The third thing is that tackle leakage early on and be very aware that it's going to happen in any marketplace out there. Mm. Right? Even a market, a market, Amazon is also a marketplace in a sense. Uh, and they too have leakage where people have contacted sellers out there. But the simple reason that people don't really think about it as such, and I think Roshan, we talked about this earlier, right? mm-hmm. that why people don't think about this as much is because of the trust and the ease of use. So right. harboring both early on will be major drivers of growth uh, to any marketplace out there, right? Especially if it's a services marketplace. Yeah. No, a couple of things that you mentioned are extremely interesting and I cannot agree more. Uh, uh, you know, uh, One is the fact that when people are building a two-sided marketplace, somehow they feel that you know they have to go really wide and sort of spread themselves too thin. Uh, neither having the supply nor the demand, demand, or you know, having supply in certain key areas and not uh, uh, in the other areas, and but claiming to have that, or you know, they 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 kind of don't uh, get that equation right. But what you said makes absolute sense. I mean, you know, play to your strengths. I mean, if you want to, 
build the demand side out, go and build a very strong demand side out and then, you know, attract the supply side as well or vice versa, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that and uh, uh, also the fact that I feel like we're way past this, uh, you know, making connections happen phase uh, in, in the internet and platforms and so on, right? I think most platforms have to kind of build product capabilities like how TapChief is doing at this point of time, right? I'm very happy that you call it uh, the future of work. Uh, uh, what is that? I mean, sorry. Future of work platform. Uh, future of work field. platform, right? So it's like a full stack thing because I think once we spoke about how you're helping, uh, you know, freelancers with their taxes and, you know, accounting and all of that stuff, right? That stickiness on the platform cannot just be because of the connections itself. Although, I mean, that could be a primary driver, but it also has to have something else over and above that. So, yeah. So that kind of neatly flows into the question that I have next, which is, you know, this whole funda of product-led growth is seeing a lot of purchase uh, right now, right, in the market. Everyone's talking about it. Why don't you give us like a 101 or your perspective on product-led uh, growth? Okay. So, first of all, all these terms, right, I don't think the term itself is bad. Uh, and it's having a lot of purchase in the market because suddenly people are realizing that, you know, that any kind of growth that is either purely sales led or purely marketing led is not very sustainable. Right. Yeah. Given that marketing dollar spend is not giving the same ROI anymore. Right. So people are looking at, are looking at direct, uh, direct to consumer products where they want to purchase them directly rather than going via marketing channels. The prospecting journey has changed in itself. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to tell one way or the other which one's working, not working. There are still my, definite ways. My pet thesis is that, you know, it was evolved by engineering nerds who hate salespeople. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and that makes sense, right? Like, they're all yeah. like, I want to buy. So, when I say product-led growth, right? Like, so, in my mind, the dev- and these terms have been bastardized, but the term still stands and what it stands for. So, yeah, in my yeah. mind, product-led growth is where your product is basically, how you measure marketing channels. You have Google search as a channel. You have... Uh, you could have, uh, you know, you could have direct. I believe that if you add one more channel as a line item in your sheet, and you can definitively say that that my product itself is doing these five actions to get me new users or to retain more users or to get me payments, you can define that as product-led growth. That's a very broad level thesis, but I'll go deeper into the example. Mm. One simple thing is like, if you talk of, say, the uh, any kind of uh, network effect-driven product, right? Like it could be mm. a social product, it could be a, a SaaS tool, which requires you to invite collaborators. All of, that is one example of product-led growth, right? Another brilliant example of product-led growth in my example is Twilio, right? Twilio is a, uh, you know, it's a cloud uh, SMS phone and a communication platform out there. It's a pass. It's a platform as a service. Yeah. And recently acquired SendGrid. I'm, I'm sure most of the readers here, if they have done any kind of uh, things on SendGrid, would have heard of Twilio as well. Yeah. So uh, Twilio's documentation or Stripe's documentation sells both those products by themselves. Right? Because ultimately what you realize is that your buyer in this case, the person who makes that decision to either use Twilio mm. or to use Stripe is an engineer. Developer. Yeah. Or is a developer, right? Mm. And when you have that person making the decision, you need to, and this is the same principles of marketing apply, right? You need to develop content for them, you need to create value, you need to educate them, you need to put them down a funnel. They all, both of them do it via the documentation, which is so beautifully written out there that it's actually humbling for SaaS companies to go and read that. So yeah. their marketing is driven by writing the documentation, right? Technically more of a product thing than a marketing thing, but that line is blurred. Mm. Right? So mm. that is one example that I'm talking about. Another thing could be value signaling or brand signaling by using a particular product. 
So for example, uh, TikTok has this feature where you can download a video outright, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to share a link anywhere visit a TikTok. You can do that as well. Yeah. But the more important feature here is that there is a TikTok branding on the video itself, wherever you else you share it with the yeah. username of that person. So by basically branding that video and watermarking it in a small way, they made it very easy for users to share the content out there and for people to come back and you know subscribe to them or sign up, which leads to new user acquisition or engagement for TikTok, right? Yeah. In a sense, that too is product-led growth. So when you can have your product put growth on autopilot by the inherent features, flows, or usage built into it, doesn't necessarily need to be an invite feature. I My definition of product-led growth is that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the TikTok uh, video thing was really interesting though. Because and it kind of makes sense as well, right? People share these on messaging platforms and you don't typically want to navigate away from the platform. You want to have exactly. Like a, and that's a unique approach is what yeah. I see. Because if yeah. you look at how YouTube videos are shared or how Instagram videos are shared, there mm. is no off-platform capability. YouTube has done embeds now where you can kind of mm. view the YouTube yeah, embed right in WhatsApp, right on Facebook, anywhere else, right? Mm. Or, or in the Google search itself. But... Uh, TikTok said that, you know, users don't really want to do that. Let's just give them an easy way and embed the name of the username of that person. You can see how TikTok's growth has spurred on for the past year or every month or month since then. Yeah. So uh, that's what I'm talking about. Like your product has growth inherent to it. Like where there's a product growth mindset that comes right. more from the people side. And from a feature side, you don't think of how it's going to get you more people, which might seem very uh, oxymoronic when you talk about it. You think of it that how can I create most value where people want to share it with other people, which help your users show the product value to other people by itself. And then the whole thing works. In Slack's case, it was like, man, we can easily collaborate here. Come on, Hmm. Uh, let's use this. Or in WhatsApp's case, it would have been that, man, we can message for free or that 99 SMS per day goal is no longer required. So download it, Hmm. right? So where you enable your users to show the product value by themselves in a natural flow, it will work. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, you know, at this point of time where, you know, you're seeing that enterprise software is also kind of consumerizing uh, and stuff, right? Uh, This kind of a delight or this kind of a product-led growth will uh, become prevalent across across different uh, categories, across different uh, user bases and so on, I feel, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So something I spoke about earlier was, uh, you know, the zero to one journey and, and, you know, innovating under constraints and stuff. I want to talk about the opposite uh, or what is perceived to be the opposite, which Hmm. is, you know, how does life change post funding, you know, from an operator's perspective, how does it change? So that's pretty interesting, right? Like uh, there's one whole psychological angle to it, which I think all of us who are part of the early team of Tapchi felt. And then there is more of a work-related or your career path aspect of it, right? That how that changes. So on the psychological aspect of it, you will, you know, that whole yearning for the nostalgia of before times, you will see that a lot happening. Because over the period of four years with a company which has so much momentum, product changing so fast, the macro condition changing so fast, things will have changed since then. Yeah. Like, uh, so looking back on that time, you need to evolve your own mindset along with it, right? So that that becomes very important, which is more of a softer mental side, but equally important. On the more work side of things, I found some very interesting things, right? So Mm -hmm. early on, when people join a startup, uh, very rarely are these people very strong specialists because there is no space for specialists or who are just focused on one thing in an early stage company. Uh, You are largely generalists with a spike or two in a few domains that you're interested in. And most of these 
folks that I've seen are fairly young. So even those spikes are not really exactly to the umpteen point they can be at, right? Mm. And as you grow within the startup, you have two distinct calls to take here. And but all of the both of those calls come to one place down. Like either you move to another early stage startup for that zero to one journey, because the zero to one journey and the one to hundred journey are fairly different. Mm. Like the difference mm. is zero to one, you're trying fifty things, one of them works. You need to get it to a point where you have so-called product market fit or you have mm. a channel marketing fit or a channel positioning fit and you move on. Mm. But when you have to scale from one to hundred, that requires a lot of focus and specialization. Like you can't no longer run Quora ads, Facebook ads, and say Instagram ads at the same time. You mm. focus yourself to one channel or one platform and you mm. optimize the hell out of it till you get to the point, right? This is one example. You can do more than that, of course. But yeah. the idea is you need to focus down. So earlier when you are doing, you're wearing multiple hats and that idea has been, you know, uh, really evangelized out there a lot that, uh, you know, I can I, I can wear multiple hats. I can do a lot of different things out here. Uh, whereas back moving on, actually focuses what helps more. It does beautiful things. So yeah. that is how your work changes. The other thing is this, that, uh, and this came on very interestingly, and I'm sure you face this as well, where mm. you'll end up with a lot of people with more experience with uh, more uh, with uh, more years of experience who are elder to you working under you. At least this is what happened with me, right? <laughs> Moving on. And when I saw that happening early on, you kind of feel slightly intimidated. You feel a bit of imposter syndrome because you know that there are all these amazing folks who want to work with you if you've actually gotten there, right? Mm. And actually, that's, uh, that's, that's there's really nothing to be worried about because you are here because you know the company, you know the mission, right? And you were there when it grew, grew from zero to one, mm. right? And you're doing what's necessary. Your job is not to be the best in marketing. Your job is to get the best marketing out there for the company. There's a nuance between both of these. Fantastic point. As long as you can run this comp- run this team well and mm. enable your team members, whether they are more experienced, less experienced, and it doesn't really matter, to do their best to achieve the company goals, it mm. works. Right? And that is where I'm coming in with this. Now, I also strongly believe that everyone needs to be an operator. You can't just be a manager. Managers, yeah. I think of as more as human load balancers. You can't really be one, <laughs> right? So even though as a product man, yeah, it is. That, that's what's happening, right? These days that you need to hire yeah. a person just to manage five people and realize that this person is not respected by these five because this person doesn't know the craft. And right. you see this, especially in marketing and sales roles out there. Like if yeah. your manager can't do sales well, I don't see any salesperson going to respect them out there or to listen to them or to listen to their advice. Or they are, And they are also not in a position to kind of advise these people or mentor them on sales in itself. Same goes for product, same goes for engineering, uh, mm. same goes for marketing as well. So if you look at it this way, it's uh, always, you'll have to balance your time. This is another thing that changes. Like earlier, where you're just doing, 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 doing. Later on, you'll have a significant time not to manage people, but just to strategize and to mm. think that what next, while there are other people doing the things you were doing, right? So you constantly need to, in a way, make yourself redundant in an org, like say every six months. After That's that. a fantastic point. Which yeah. can be fairly intimidating at the time because you're like, what is my need here, right? You'll keep asking that as new people join, as your role becomes written. But that's a good thing to do because that gives you the chance and thereby as a proxy, the company, the chance to do new things with you. Launch a new and product line. A, yeah, and that's also a natural thing for startup operators, right? See, because I keep saying that, look, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's product or sales or marketing or whatever it is, as long as you're moving the needle, Right. Exactly, right. Uh, and uh, to that end, you have to be like, you have to constantly innovate to be more relevant, right? Today, I mean, if it's, uh, if the highest relevance you can have is by doing this marketing thing that you have to do, fine, do it, right? Uh, but 
don't uh, you know i mean people kind of get this tunnel vision syndrome saying that you know i am a marketer and i will be a marketer and i am going to do this particular thing well marketing is big enough but i mean even within marketing right let's say digital or whatever it is i am this and i am that and you know somehow people cast themselves in those tiny boxes which is uh, definitely not a viable thing for a startup operator right that's true uh, see i see that as an option not even an attractive one to be honest where mm-hmm. you kind of you know box yourself in but as the org grows what you need to realize is if an org if an org has to grow at 10x i don't mean people size i mean in growth numbers and the needle mm-hmm. uh, you need to grow at least double of that thing to kind of make up for that lag right because org mm-hmm. needs to grow now it can't wait mm-hmm. for you to grow to that point and then grow it mm-hmm. so one option is that you stay where you are and uh, you kind of develop a specialization and go deeper there mm-hmm. but as an early stage employee you didn't join because of this right you join mm. to do exciting new things you join mm. because you believe in the mission and do whatever it takes to advance this and mm. i don't think that changes over time if it has then it's okay in my opinion to specialize but i've never seen a startup operator actively take up a choice like this and stick to that only fair point fair point so uh, neil we have a few rapid fire questions i mean you can't get through an interview without some of these right <laughs> okay all right go for it so a few rapid fire questions i mean it will not be as controversial as some of the other podcasts <laughs> out there so okay. okay first one coming up since you have done both of them product or growth uh don't see them as separate but product okay interesting it's the shiny new thing right that's why <laughs> <laughs> no not okay uh, cool i'll answer that later of the rapid fire or do you want to do that now no no we can i mean i, I was just that was just a quip that's all okay so. all right so yeah. when you look at uh, when i was in growth early on uh, i'd have a lot of battles uh, with my cto arjun okay and a lot of credit to him because he's been nothing but patient with me and like at that point i i was nothing but a toddler okay in terms of understanding product or understanding tech and he mm. was the one who kind of walked me through it because as a marketing person it was very natural that man why can't we do an invite thing why can't we do a referral thing why can't we add this yeah. feature and yeah. i think i bugged him straight for like one year or mm. one and a half years and at that point he said you know why don't you come on the other side of the table and actually help <laughs> us build this product right credit to him for giving me that chance and that's when i kind of realized all the complexity and things behind it and that's when right. i realized that one can't function without the other and there's a lot more mutual respect now so yeah that's why i don't really see both of those th- two things as separate interesting okay second one entrepreneur or operator operator <laughs> of course uh 0 to 1 or 1 to 100 0 to 1 okay elon musk or jeff bezos bezos okay interesting flipkart or ola mm, i'd say ola okay all right so uh what books would you recommend uh, uh, to our listeners okay so is it fine if some of these are ebooks that are only published online yeah, yeah or, absolutely fine okay. anything so, this is like the recommendation section anything goes okay anything goes right you could recommend so, your favorite morning fragrance also if you want <laughs> okay all right no, i'm good and good with that <laughs> so probably for another podcast that we do but uh, yeah so the books that i really like um The first one I'd suggest is uh, Blitzscaling. Okay, yeah, uh, that's a book by Reed, Reed Hoffman. Yes, and uh, I think it talks about a lot of the hard truths in not a very complex language. It's very straightforward. Mm. So mm. that one's amazing. Uh, the other one for uh, teams who want who are collaborating with product, especially in uh, product uh, companies and not product services companies, would be Shape Up by Basecamp. And okay. uh, 
they talk a lot about how to run projects regardless of them being product or marketing or anything about that and they simplified to a level where they make project management seem fun which i think is a lot yes. of credit to that book right so that's another um right. the third one would be in fact the book you gave me right like oh. uh, how to create i can't recall the name now jason lemkin one jason lemkin yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah impossible to inevitable yeah 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 so that book uh, and i finished it by the way thank you for that book it's amazing yeah, and, uh, so i think it's uh, that that should be the holy grail for anyone getting into saas growth yeah. no two ways about it right so yeah. these would be my recommendations of the top of my head awesome podcasts you listen to um so again reed hoffman's masters of scale of which mm-hmm. blitz scaling is uh, kind of like a uh, you know a sub it's like a summarization of sorts of that and apart from that i listen to for any marketer out there dave garrard's podcast i think it's behind yeah. the patreon now if i'm not wrong but yeah, i think there's a free version as well so his podcast is great these two are the podcasts that i listen to for any kind of growth or startup stuff within that as far as product podcasts go i follow more newsletters and podcasts you know so listen to that right right i mean it's a strange thing i noticed though product folks are like always like followers of newsletters man i mean who who reads newsletters who has the time for newsletters Gosh. uh so what i think is happening there is that a lot of product so half of product is writing stuff as like yeah, much yeah, more yeah. in marketing half of product Very is writing stuff for internal stakeholders right? right so at the end of the day these uh, all these product folks including me i'm guilty enough of that you end up writing these long thesis mm-hmm. of different things and putting it out there and at some point product folks are like man i'm sharing with my team of 10 why not put this thesis out to 10000 of course no mm-hmm. proprietary information will be shared but mm-hmm. at least let's talk about our thesis so that's where it mm-hmm. comes from Yeah. and uh, yeah and, and i think that like that's what it stuff is. has made it easier also i think it's made it much much easier there were other things right. before like review but substack mm-hmm. somehow just you know uh, it burst that bubble and people have been going for it throughout yeah. right yeah cool so before we let you go uh, why don't you tell us what's up ahead you know what plans for the future uh, how do you think spanning uh, how do you see things spanning out for yourself for tap chief so uh personally think that see anyone who says that they know what's going to happen even the next month right yeah uh, especially now of, right yeah especially now is kind of like bullshitting themselves and everyone out there mm-hmm. so but what i can tell you is that it's uh, it's in a ways some, some of the best of times and the worst of times is the worst of times for the people in our company that they have to be secluded in uncertainty around what's going to happen around their health but it's one of the most interesting of times for us when you think of it that you know apna time aa gaya people mm. are working remotely people mm. are using these tools and we kind of have to step up our game to serve them and do best for them so that's what i'm excited and terrified at the same time it's a very interesting feeling and it's <laughs> to maintain both of these of sorts in your head but yeah. yeah that's what it is i think that's the best kind of feeling i think yeah. uh, i don't know who <laughs> yeah. had this uh, who had this quote that you know anything uh, anything significant that you do should be a little scary I can't recall man but yeah I I get what you're saying like yeah yeah, yeah cool so this was awesome neil uh, thanks so much i mean a lot of fantastic insights and a lot to uh, ponder about as well thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast uh, yeah thanks so much hey thank you roshan lovely to be here and uh, yeah look forward that was another episode of the startup operator thank you so much for tuning into this episode hope you liked it Every weekend we'll interview operators uh who are working at fast growing startups and we'll curate insights that can help you execute better. This podcast is available on all popular platforms. 
if you like our content don't forget to subscribe and share until next time stay safe take care